following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians on the right-hand side of your Bible. A small letter from the Apostle Paul to the church gathered at the region of Colossae. And from Colossae, it goes to Community Gospel. Community Gospel is founded and grounded on the Word of God. It is not the pastor's opinion it is the Word of God that speaks to us this morning, and so we're excited that you're here with us again. My name is Jordan, and um, I have, have prayed for you and for this message that it would really speak to your heart as the diligence in regards to study has been done. But after closing uh, up study and giving it over to the Lord, I, I prayed to Him this morning and, and said, I don't know how this is going to work, God. (laughs) I really don't know how these truths are going to be impressed upon the people's hearts. I know it was impressed upon my heart this past week and month, but uh, there's some interesting things in here, as you'll see. Just uh, last week, there was a conference uh, on the Puritans. And Puritans, um, I'm sure you know who the Puritans are. They were the people who essentially were part of um, the start of America, and, and they, they were people who loved the Word of God. And uh, we've just kind of fallen in, in love with some of them. Um, and we don't look at their words as gospel. We look at their words as pointing to the gospel, and they were fallen men too, so there's some problems in some of that theology for sure. But uh, the words are still around, and anything that is written and is, uh, back then and is still around really demands kind of our attention. Um, and, and as we look at these things that have stood the test of time, uh, we realize that, that it really still speaks to our heart, just as much as the Bible speaks to our heart that was written so long ago because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Really, these words point back to that too as well. And so the late John Calvin, if you look on the screen, he said something that's really interesting, and I know this is, this is probably very academic. But John Calvin said that the true meaning of Scripture is natural and, and obvious. He said, let us embrace and abide by it. The natural and obvious meaning in Scripture. And let us not only neglect as doubtful, but boldly set aside as deadly corruptions those pretended expositions which lead us away from the natural meaning. What John Calvin is saying here is he's saying, there's some people out there who are preaching some things that are not of the word of God. And we need to be on guard against those things. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, which is where we're at today, is really going to go back and connect to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. And so if you would, look in your Bibles at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and we will get a running start on our passage this morning. See to it, the Apostle Paul writes, 
by the leading of the Holy Spirit, God's words to us, that no one takes you captive by philosophies or empty deceits according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And you have been filled with Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Christ also you were circumcised with the circumcision without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you... Believer, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, nailed it to the cross, as we heard earlier, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. That's a good start for our message this morning, amen? Okay, And Peter's words ring true. Some of Paul's words are hard to understand. Therefore, and that's why we read those passages of Scripture, because it says, therefore, since you know those specific things, know this. Let no one pass judgment on you in regards to questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul is speaking to the Colossian believers based off of something that transpired in verse 8. There are philosophies and empty deceits that are popping up in the church all over the place that are taking believers captive. It's still happening today. They're diverting us away from what it means to be in Christ. And so this week, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, and we're going to talk about these oppositions to the faith. And I'm going to give you three of them that are here in the text. There's three oppositions to the faith that are going to pop up in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23. The first one we read about, and it is legalism. Now, I want you just, as you're gathered here today, to do two things. Number one, I want you to say, am I one of these things? I know it's hard to imagine, all right? And number two, do I have friends that are one of these things? And how can I minister with God's word to myself as well as to my friends and family members and the people who are entrusted to my care? Pastor Jordan, I have no idea what legalism means. Ha, that's where I'm here to help. Legalism, essentially, at the core, means Somebody who has a doctrinal position, that's their beliefs, and they stress those beliefs with a system of rules and regulations to achieve salvation and spiritual growth. Legalists, what I would say, have a giant scoreboard in the sky. And as they look at that scoreboard, they say, I did this many good works and this many not so good works. And so uh, when I get to heaven, I'm hoping that my good works outweigh my bad works. They also would say, if I do these good works, God loves me this much. And if I don't do these good works, God doesn't love me this much. In Christ, in your relationship with Christ, God cannot love you any more or any less than he already does right now. We need to understand that. Because legalists in the church of Colossae, who are kind of popping up, believed in or demanded strict, literal, 
obedience to the rules and regulations. But what's funny is usually legalists fall short of those rules and regulations that they put on other people and themselves. So we have Pharisees and Sadducees that are walking around and and those individuals who are doing that. And these legalists oppose simple grace, failing to see the real purpose of the Old Testament law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is to point us to the fact to see how sinful we really truly are and how great God really is by sending Jesus to fulfill all of those laws. So the Old Testament's really a teacher, if you will, who brings us to Christ because it shows us how fallen we are. All believers are free from the Old Testament law's legalistic requirements. However, here some false teachers and maybe even some believers are popping up who are legalists and they're passing judgment on Colossian believers for certain food consumption that's happening and failure to observe certain festivals. It's very similar to you popping into the sanctuary this morning and seeing the absence of somebody who's not here and going, hmm, I wonder where they're at. Well, at least I'm here. Or it's when you walk into your workplace and say, huh, at least I'm not that guy. At least I'm not that girl. And you start to evaluate yourself off somebody else. Now, if you would... uh, circle or underline or highlight or whatever you have in front of you, the words pass judgment. Pass judgment is actually acting as a judge or evaluating somebody else. In this regard, false teachers were coming to their own conclusions regarding if Colossi believers were truly spiritual people. So they would use their own non-biblical criteria And what we have here is food consumption and failure to observe certain festivals to judge or evaluate falsely these believers. Now, why are they doing this? What's the point? Well, look at the second part of verse 16 and into 17. Jews and Greeks placed regulations on food and drink as well as certain rituals. There's a common belief in the New Testament text that by abstaining from certain food and drink, particular meat and wine, meat that was sacrificed to idols uh, and wine that was consumed, one was able to worship the Greek gods better. The same thing happened with days. So Jews and Greeks would place a high priority on certain days. There was holy days, for example, new moon festivals, it says in the text, and the Sabbath. And they were essentially saying that they're more holy than others if they weren't observed as a spiritual ritual. So all of these dietary restrictions and all of these festivals that you have, Paul says, are a shadow of the things to come. In other words, all of these things pointed to a better day that God had planned. In the Greek word, if you want to circle the word substance, it means body. So what Paul is saying is he says, let no man or group judge you on how you are practicing Old Testament laws and commands, but let's focus on the heart. And you need to listen to the body of Christ, the church, and its head, which is Jesus. Now pause here for a second. Because if we look at legalists, right? We're all guilty of passing judgment from one person to the next. Everybody on the same page there? I know you don't want to be. I get it. But we are. There are many of us who are here who feel very, very strongly about what we would call non-essential doctrinal themes. 
There are some things that we are very passionate about that the Bible speaks on, or the Bible doesn't speak on, excuse me. For example, like the consumption of food. Should you eat a whole box of Oreos or just half? I don't think it's wise to eat a whole box of Oreos, but, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about that. Someone once said, be very kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. So my question is, like, I have friends like this, right? And I tend to kind of go this way sometimes too. So how can I be careful to not base my convictions on my own personal biblical interpretations or traditions to make sure that I'm staying on track as well as the church is staying on track? So let me just give you a few tips when speaking to your legalistic friends as well as your legalistic self. Number one, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are always opposed to sin. Hands down, all the time, we oppose sin. What is sin? Sin is anything that you know is right and you fail to do it. Opposing sin is never wrong when it comes to both believers to bring them back in line with God's word or unbelievers to bring them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To ask a fellow believer to hold up to a biblical standard is good, but it has to be done in love. It has to be done genuinely and in love. With non-believers, we remember that their standard of truth is not biblical, so when we confront our legalistic friends and their sins, it has to go back to the gospel. Paul would say the same thing to the Colossian church. Number two, when it comes to legalism, you can evaluate your brother and sister of Christ. Notice I said evaluate, not judge. We are so good at this. I get this all the time. Don't what? Don't judge me. Don't judge me eating this whole box of Oreos, Pastor Jordan. Watch out, right? You hear it all the time. What people mean when they say don't judge me is please don't draw conclusions on what I'm doing or not doing. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are always evaluating each other and ourselves. We're always striving to spur one another on to a life of godliness. But when we do this, we have to be careful. The evaluation must be done righteously. It has to be done fairly and in love. So in other words, when you point your finger at one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, remember, there's three more pointing back to you and one giving the thumbs up. So you have to be careful. The evaluation has to be done in love. Jesus, in John chapter 7, verse 24, talks about righteous judgment and the ability to gently confront our stumbling brothers and sisters in Christ in love when we are approaching legalism to worship the Lord. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, that we have substance in Christ. And because of our substance in Christ, there is nothing that, that you could do that would allow God to love you any more or any less. He loves you the same. And so your works need to become worship. And you live in this, as, as Paul says, Romans chapter 12, living sacrifice, walking worshipers. Verse 18. And as you walk, let no one disqualify you Insisting on this thing called asceticism and the worship of angels, going on into detail about visions and puffed up without reason in their sensuous mind. Verse 19. 
He says, and not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body nourished and is knit together through its joints and ligaments, and it grows with a growth that is from God. So second heresy that pops up, this thing called mysticism. There are some false teachers who are disqualifying or condemning Colossian believers because of this mysticism thing. Pastor Jordan, I don't know what mysticism is. I'm here to help. Mysticism at the core is when somebody looks for the hidden meanings of scripture. These people frustrate me to no end. You want to know why? Because they're always talking about, does the Bible really say? Here's what they're trying to do. You're trying to justify your own sin instead of cling to conforming to the image of Christ. Most mystics do this all the time. So what happens is, this Bible doesn't have these, like, these deep hidden meanings, right? And, and these, these deep hidden meanings are often searched for in, in very individual endeavors. <clears throat> Today we find mysticism in charismatic movements and people who love to endlessly scroll on their phones. Dreams and visions and feelings and experiences. It can be true that as believers we do have experiences with God, but those experiences, whenever you have an experience with God, it has to line up with Scripture. If you're going to say God told me, Scripture better back that up in context. Because we are prone to run away with our feelings. Feelings aren't bad, they're from God. But when feelings take over and opinions take over, emotion ceases, or logic ceases. And so, essentially, what we need is the word. God is not an author of confusion. Also, mysticism elevates other people to spiritual statuses to be greater than other people, which is biblically false. What did Paul say? He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So if the person who you're following is not following Jesus, then you're following the wrong person. Mystics also practice this form of uh, ascendicism, and we'll get there in just a second, but they worshiped angels, which scripture forbids. You remember in John, uh, in Revelation, he, he falls down and he worships the angel, and the angel says, don't worship me, worship God. And then there's visions, which experiences that claim to be from God. And what we see when people have visions from God, it really leads them to being puffed up and prideful. So how am I to avoid this? Because this does pop up in our lives today. How am I supposed to avoid this? And how do I help my, my, my brothers and sisters avoid this? Well, let me show you how to avoid the mystic trap. Ready for this? Number one, don't let improper, ungodly emotion take over. Paul says that believers are overcome by mystics when we become puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. When, a law, when, when emotion or opinion takes over, the logic ceases. Again, emotions aren't bad. But anything a believer experiences has to line up with biblical truth. Yeah, God is certainly beyond our full comprehension. There's mysteries about him. But he has revealed to us everything that we need to know to get to know him in his word. So rather than seek out these experiences, we should involve ourselves in the things that God has revealed to us. Where my words fall short, God's word never does. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks to this. In verse 9 it says, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Which he purposed where? In Christ. 
And as he purposed those things in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, it was to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. When you're having an emotional experience and it's causing disunity in the body of Christ, then it is not from God. You have to be very careful with that. When your emotion takes over so much, the divisions are happening and transpiring, it is not of God. So our spiritual blessings are in Christ, which are written in his word, and God has revealed this mystery to us and called us, as we started our study, to walk faithfully in him. So number two, to avoid the strap, is to hold fast to the head, which is Christ. Look at verse 19. Paul said, a legalistic mystic is the worst, because they are not correct or connected to the head. They have lost their true connection to Christ who alone supplies life and spiritual growth. True spirituality does not come by obedience to the laws. Again, they're only a shadow of our works that show our faith. We hold fast to our head, which is Jesus, as individual believers and the body of Christ so that it can grow and produce fruit. If we detach ourselves from the head, then we... Are severed. Just this past week, I had somebody give me a phone call. They wanted to know about grace. And essentially, they were asking if one person's personal sin that had manifested in their life would still get them to heaven. They made a profession of faith in Christ. And so they said, you know, does this person still get to go to heaven? This is a pretty big sin in their mind. It was a fair question. And I said, this is what's so amazing about grace is that grace covers a multitude of sins. And sin in the eyes of God is not higher or lower. A sin is a sin. And the only unpardonable sin is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. And if you reject the Holy Spirit, you're essentially rejecting God. And to reject God means God gives you your wishes. And he says, forever you'll be apart from me. And this has resonated in my mind all week. They said, you're messing with my Christianity. And I said, in the back of my mind, I question your Christianity. Because really, I didn't mess with their Christianity. I messed with their moralism. They're moralistic people trying to rank themselves in a legalistic way. Does God love me if I do this? Does he not love me if I do this? I've had this experience with the Lord, and so I must be saved. But grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. It's not just... It's not just my sense of, oh, so, so I am spiritual and you cannot be spiritual. If you made a declaration of faith in Christ, you are into the family of God. And don't get me wrong, there's some aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters where I'm like, really, we're in the same family? Oh, that makes me cringe a little bit. But in God's eyes, he says, I love you because you love me because I loved you first. John chapter 15 gives a real parallel, uh, parallel image of this when Jesus talks about the vine, Right? He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in him will bear much fruit. And so you have to remain connected to me. Our growth individually and corporately can only advance when we conform to the character of Christ by holding fast to him. This is why we see the disciple fall into the water because he takes his eyes off Christ. This is why you fall in the ways and the waters of life. It's because you're taking your eyes off Christ. You had an emotional experience and it totally took over your logic and you wonder where is God? And he says, I'm right here, 
but you have to come back to being connected with me. There's no spiritual growth for our body or the body of Christ here when the union of Christ, the head, is severed. While every believer is important, any pride-filled, falsely humble person cuts himself off from the source of spiritual vitality when improper, ungodly emotion takes over. That is, the person willingly detaching themselves from the head, and we've all seen it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I really hope that, that, that speaks to your heart. Now look at verse 20, really interesting. If with Christ you died, now I love that he says if, right? He kind of like asks the Colossian believers, like, hey, are you, are you followers of the way? Are you believers in Jesus Christ? Have you confessed with your mouth and believed that Christ's blood covers your sin? Have you done that? It's interesting that you have to say that to the church sometimes. But you died to the elementary spirits of the world. In another part of the Bible, it will say, why are you still drinking milk when you should be eating meat? Why? 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 As if you were still alive in the world. In other words, why do you care about these legalists and these mystics? Why are you even putting your foot in their pool? Why? Why do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Now, this is really hard for me because... What's happening is I would love to put rules and regulations on your life because then you do what I want you to do, but that's what I want you to do and not what God wants you to do. But there's freedom in grace. Referring to the things uh, that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, look at verse 23. These have all indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. And there's this little word that's right there in 23 called ascendicism. And a severity to the body, by they are no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. So the third heresy rises up. What is asceticism? And is that even how you say it? I hope so. Because if not, I've been mispronouncing it all week long. Well, what is asceticism? That's where I got you covered. Asceticism is the belief where one renounces worldly pleasures. This is so popular in our society. Please do not check out that distract from spiritual growth and enlightenment to live a life of abstinence, absurdity, and extreme self-denial. We see it all over the place in Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism has kind of hints of this, and so does Islam. Ascendics don't necessarily believe that the flesh is evil. There are so many people who believe this in our society today. But they go to great lengths to deny the flesh, to transform their mind, and to free their spirit. You got some friends like this. Historically, ascendicism has involved massive fasting, exposing uh, yourself to heat or cold. I instantly thought about cold tubs, like, and they're just on the rise right now. People are like, yeah, jump in the cold tub for five minutes. Uh, I hate it, by the way. How about sleep deprivation? All of us are under that. And even self-mutilation. And Paul wonders, look at what he says in the text in verse 20. He, he looks at the believers and he says, you're doing these things when you have died to the elementary spirits of the world. In other words, what he's saying there is you've been freed from the physical powers of this world. And you're still submitting to the regulations. You're still following its rules. These false teachers or human precepts and teachings have an appearance of wisdom, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. So can you say it a little bit more plainly, Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
What he's saying is, if a person really believes in Christ, not in rules and regulations of the Old Testament law, then why would they continue to obsess over human rules and regulations? In other words, what's happening is people are kind of like jumping into things, thinking that it will make them more spiritual. And Paul's essentially questioning, why would you do that as as believers? Why would you go and act like unbelievers? Why would you do goat yoga? That doesn't make any sense. It's a real thing. (laughs) Instead of living by faith in your own uh, ability, as a believer, you're to walk by faith in Christ, not in these false teachings. Now, this is so dangerous to preach because essentially what I'm doing is I'm like giving you freedom. Actually, I'm not doing it. God's doing it. There's this story, right? Uh, there was this hotel. And um, the hotel had like this little pond outside of the actual hotel. And uh, you couldn't access the pond on the first floor. You could only access the pond uh, uh, to fish on uh, by the second floor. And so what they did is when they built the hotel, they realized that this was going to be a problem. And so what they did is they posted this big, huge sign and it said, no fishing off the balcony. You know what people did? Fish off the balcony. As a matter of fact, they didn't just fish off the balcony. They put these huge weights on their fishing poles and they would cast it off the balcony and they would fall short of the pond because they didn't realize how far the pond was away. And so the weight would come down and people were eating and it would crash into the windows and it would break and these people would just like go nuts. They'd be like, oh my goodness, what is happening? So, so guess what they did to get people to stop fishing from the second story balcony? They took off the sign. They took off, what? They took off the sign? Here's the crazy thing. I see this all the time. The flesh is stirred into action by the law. I can almost tell you what you struggle with because usually what you struggle with, you promote. There are so many people in this world who have a struggle with something and instead of just practicing abstinence and removing themselves from that sin, they promote it. And in the promotion of this, we realize how much we fall short. If we try to not gratify our flesh, we end up stirring up the flesh. So surrender to the Spirit, and He and He alone will demolish, at least for the moment, the strong desire of our flesh. I talked to a guy one time and he said, I just struggle so much with this one specific sin. I said, where does it take place? He said, my office. I said, okay, it takes place in your office. What do you do when it hits? He said, I stay in my office. I said, get up off your butt and go walk around the block. He's like, you think that'll work? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Or submit to open offices where there's more people than just you. As believers, we are told to deny ourselves, but asceticism takes that to the extreme here. So with all of this, what is the point? Like, like here's kind of where I, I landed, and here was my prayer at the beginning of this whole message. Because I look at this, and I say, I say, God, we're under grace, but not law. If you go back to the book of Romans, and you don't have to go there, I'll go there for you. But in the book of Romans, chapter 6, it's really kind of an interesting endeavor. Same author, right? And what Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 14, is really interesting. He says, God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Believers don't live by a set of rules, 
We live by the leading of the Holy Spirit who is in us at the moment that we believed. And if Christ has set us free and trying to earn God's favor or somehow purge ourselves from sin would be a misunderstanding of that grace as no amount of strictness can earn salvation or merit God's love. Can you say it plainly? It scares me to death to even give this to you. But it's so true. Sermon in a sentence. The man or woman who really loves the Lord can do as they choose. All sins are forgiven under the cross. But if you really love the Lord, you will choose to do his will over your own every time. Wow. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I believe in um, the teaching and the convicting of the Holy Spirit. And, And that belief has been strengthened by the preaching and teaching of your word here this morning. Because I believe, because your word says it, that that truth has somehow been impressed on our hearts. And as we have studied this passage of scripture, we ourselves have all been in this situation. We have all been in fault for having these views, and we also have friends and family members who have these views. And maybe some people who are even here, God, have these views. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourselves, I've been trying to work my way to heaven. I've been doing some things to just get in God's good graces. And you're not a believer in in Jesus Christ, then the first step for you is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And if you are a believer and you're here, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm a believer and I still work. to kind of get in God's good graces. The first step for you is to repent of that sin. Just say, God, I'm so sorry that I have been working when I should be worshiping. And I'm so sorry that I have tried to get in your graces when you've already lavished your grace upon me. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, therefore, as your opportunity and obligation is to present yourselves to God, it's your spiritual act of worship. So would you, in your heart, pray this today? God, would you help me to eliminate anything that is in me that is of this world and help me to transform my works into worship. May I do all things for your glory. Help me, Lord, to understand these truths and to implement them in the places that I populate. Help me to be loving and kind, not only to other people, but also to myself. And help me, God, to seek to do your will over my will. May I make it a priority to constantly conform to the image of Christ as an act of worship. It is in your name, in your name alone that I pray. And all God's people said.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.